The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Table Talk, the Spectator's food and drink podcast. I'm Lara Prendergast. And I'm Olivia Potts. And today we're delighted to be joined by Poppy O'Toole. Poppy is a professional chef who has worked in a number of Michelin-starred restaurants. Since her COVID-related redundancy, she has used TikTok and Instagram to help teach others how to cook, amassing over 1.7 million followers, where she is known by the handle Poppy Cooks. Her new book, Poppy Cooks, The Food You Need, is available now. Poppy, welcome to Table Talk. Hello, thank you for having me. Poppy, we're going to start where we always do, at the very beginning, and ask you, what are your earliest memories of food? Oh, um, well, I am a fiend for food quite uh, terribly. I really enjoy it. So, earliest memories, I used to, I was obsessed with poussons um, when I was younger and made my grandmother get uh, poussons for everybody in the family so I could do little mini roast chicken dinners. (laughs) Um, And then, so she was like my main kind of like foodie, but then she... Wow, sorry, uh, depressing, but she passed away. So my granddad was left on his own, right? So I went and had a sleepover there. <laughs> and um, uh, my mum came to pick me up and she came in to myself and my granddad uh, eating Spanish onions like an apple with cheddar cheese because he, he never had to cook before. So we were just there like <laughs> eating these onions and then with this cheese, it was hilarious. But those are my two kind of like, they really stick with me memories of food because they're quite bizarre. <laughs> and how old would you, have, would you have been when you were cooking with your granny? Uh, so I was, I mean, from, from birth, really. So as soon as I could, like, handle a knife, she had me in there mm. peeling and everything. So about five, I suppose, as soon as I could get in there. Um, and I was just obsessed, obsessed with cooking shows, obsessed with butchers. That was a weird one. Butchers and fishmongers. Wow, they were like, I'd just stand there and just gaze at it like wow what's this (laughs) yeah so that was my that was my opening into the food food world but it was just it was through love she loved it and it was like her thing to show what like not show off but like show passion for everyone and Mm. be like the family coming over get the lamb chops ready sort of thing so it was lovely and and had your grandmother taught your mother to cook and did she then in turn teach you to cook yes it was very much that my mom really loves cooking absolutely loves cooking Uh, same sort of thing but um, then she had me, so I suppose it was just... Then it was, give the baby to the grandmother for a little while, let's have a break sort of thing. So then my grandmother started teaching me. And what did family meal times look like for you when you were growing up at home? It was a lot of French cooking. My nan loved everything French. She only drank French wine. She only made, like, coquevin, beef bourguignon. It was very, very french orientated, And there was always probably about six people... We're a small family, but there was always six plus people eating dinner, whether it was a neighbour, whether it was a friend, just somebody else would be there. Plenty of wine. And I would just be sneaking off into the fridge to try and find any chocolate for the dessert or just eating anything else that was left in the pan. So that was me just (laughs) constantly trying to eat something extra. And tell us about school food. Do you have happy memories of school food? Yeah. I'm obsessed with school food. I used to love school food. I'd have my pat lunch, but then also try and nick any money to try and get 
school meal as well. Like this, I'm obsessed. Is I've got a problem. Um, my <laughs> favorite thing. I think I confused my lunch. <laughs> So my mum had made me a sandwich, wrapped it in foil, left it in the fridge. And I'd gone to pick this sandwich up as I was rushing out because I was always late for school. And what I actually picked up was an old tin of corned beef that was wrapped in foil. But I didn't complain. I was so happy and I was sat eating just a tin of corned beef. <laughs> and the dinner ladies were coming up to me like, are you, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I was just like, yeah. all right at home. <laughs> yeah, is everything, is everything okay? I was like, yeah, it's fine. And the teachers spoke to my mum apparently after. I'm like, I don't think it's okay. She's coming with a tin of corned beef. And she was like, I didn't give her a tin of corned beef. But she was so happy. They were like, I think she was all right with it. I just had <laughs> So yeah, I, I love school meals. I used to love custard. I used to go up and get a cup of custard for like 50p or whatever just a cup of custard to drink and any kind of tray bake of cake was available at every mm, yes I'm actually <laughs> I kind of miss it a little bit and it doesn't sound like you were a fussy eater as a child it sounds like you were pretty adventurous as far as children go yeah I my only thing was is <laughs> I would I was obsessed I hate jelly it gives me the heebie-jeebies jelly is something that I can't actually eat still to this day I've tried many times so I used to think that I don't know who I thought I was as a child but I'd be like I don't eat jelly and I don't eat razor clams or white asparagus (laughs) those are my three things I don't know who I thought I was (laughs) to be fair jelly and razor clams there's you know there's a similarity there of texture isn't there yeah I think that's what it was both gross at at what point have I seen a razor clam at like seven years old (laughs) like what on earth am I watching to know what a razor clam is so that that mom, that was my mum's favourite story, was that I'd go in and be like, I don't like razor clams. <laughs> well, women must have a code. At what point did you decide you wanted to then kind of study food? Because you studied food and catering. Was that, was that at school or was that post-school? Yeah, it was... I just always loved it. And it was the only thing that I kind of really got into. So I wasn't the best at school. I kind of just about got away with my uh, GCSEs. I think it was C's across the board and a couple of D's, but we'll forget about the F in geography. And it was just the one thing that I kind of flourished in. Uh, not even flourished, I didn't do very well in it, but I just really enjoyed it. I just, I love ingredients, I love produce, I love food. And I didn't know that, that how to concentrate that. So I just stayed in doing my studies. So I did catering at school and then I think I did my A-levels, food, tech and hospitality. So I just kind of fell in love with the whole industry, even front and back of house and just how things work uh, within it. So that was where I kind of, I enjoyed it, but I still couldn't get it down on paper. I couldn't write down what I wanted to do on on paper. And I found it quite difficult to just read from a textbook and be like, oh yeah, now I get how um, nutrition works. Didn't, you know, went one in and out the other, one in and out, one ear and out the other. So um, that was when I started, I had two jobs whilst I was at sixth form as well. One was, it was in a nursing home in the kitchen. So I'd go around in the evening and make their teas and it was always a corned beef hash, always corned beef hash for them with some gravy and go around and you'd end up, I'd end up just sitting watching the chase with them, having a chat. Um, It was great. I loved it. And then I'd go straight from that job to the pub. So I worked in a pub and I was front of house and I was doing the bar and stuff. So, and then I just begged and begged and begged to get into the kitchen. Eventually they let me in. I don't know why, but I was in, you know, in the kitchen porter, getting all the plates done, getting the spuds peeled, all the vegetables chopped. And then I was like, please just let me in for just half a day. Give me a little (laughs) trial. And they let me in. And I just, that was when I was like, oh, I really enjoy this actually. I love the, you know, being able to see the customers enjoy the food that you're making. It was just really exciting. 
And you've spent a lot of time in Michelin-starred restaurants. Tell us about how you ended up there. Where did that start? Yeah, so I was, you know, I failed my A-levels because I was <laughs> didn't want to do them and then was just working all the time. And I saw all my friends going to uni and everything. And then this apprenticeship came up and I was like, am I too old for an apprenticeship? Like, I'm, eight, I'm 17, 18, about, about to turn 18. Like, I'm probably too old for this. But I was like, you know what, go for it. And it was in a Michelin-starred place in Birmingham. So I just went for it and there was like this 12-week course. You had to like get whittled down from like 20 people to two people who were going to get this apprenticeship. And I didn't get it. <laughs> and I didn't get it. And then the head chef was like, actually, I want one more. I want a wild card. Poppy, you're coming with us. So I managed to wangle my way in. Um, and I stayed there for about three and a half years. I didn't know. It was just, it was, I managed to get... So we all had to do like a bit of a trial there and someone else dropped out and there was a space. Mm -hmm. so I was like, oh, some, you know, someone can go twice. Who wants to go? And I was like, I'm going, I'm going. Like, I was like, like pushing people out of the way. Like, I'm going back in. And I went <laughs> back in and one of the waitresses was like, oh, it's going to be really nice when you start here. And I was like, what do you mean by that? I, I just like ignored it. I was like, I'm going to pretend that didn't happen. And then when there was like this like ceremony of who's going to get this, and I didn't get called. I was like, oh, I don't wonder why. And he was like, wild card. And I was like, yes, I did it. I did it. I got in. So it was all very exciting. But uh, so that's what I stayed there. And I did a level one apprenticeship and level two MVQ and a level three. So I was there for like three and a half years. But I went from apprentice to commie chef to demi chef to party. So I kind of worked my way up a little bit. But it was a lot of work. And what, what are your memories of working in kitchens? On this podcast, we speak to lots of people who have kind of different, differing memories, some positive, some negative. Do you, what are your memories? I think you always get a bit of negative. It's quite a harsh industry. Um, it's quite toxic for men and women. Um, and I've spoken about this a lot on my own social media channels, really, and, and how everyone's like surprised when they hear these horror stories. And, we, and I'm like, how are we all surprised still? We know, surely we know that it's quite a volatile place to work like and not only is it bad for men like with the stress and the mental health and the anxiety and just getting basically bullied all the time but then for women you also have on top of that sexual harassment and sexual assault and the more I put it on my socials the more I get these women come forward and I'm like wow it's much worse than I've ever experienced and it's I can only speak from my own experience and it hasn't been it's, it still sounds stupid it hasn't been that bad but some of the stuff that's happened is quite bad. But I'm still like, I'm a good one. I'm a lucky one. I've been all right. But really, it's like, oh, God. And it's only when you look back that you realise how bad the industry is. You know, like, I've had to leave jobs because I was getting less than minimum wage. And I said something about it. And they were like, no, you're not doing anything about it. I was like, why? Why can't I just get a normal pay? And I've had to leave jobs because of sexual harassment and stuff. like. So, you know... Things happen, but on the whole, I've loved it. I love it. I think it's a really good... I, this is what I sound like a hypocrite. I think it's really good fun. I really enjoy it. The thrill of it, there's a camaraderie in there, and you kind of become this family in whatever kitchen you're in. And I think I've, I've you know, worked in Michelin-style places. I've worked in fine dining restaurants. I've worked in, like, more of a catering side of restaurants I've worked in just a la carte just nice meals which are more like home cooked so I've had a little go at a few different bits but still a lot of it that I haven't uncovered yet and do you think there's a way through the the toxic aspect of the kitchen culture that takes us to the other side where the, where the good stuff exists yes how do we fix it I think it's just gonna come with time and um people speaking about it 
I don't think it was like an unwritten rule that you didn't speak about anything that happened in the kitchen and it wasn't it was embarrassing to say like oh I'm tired like you couldn't say I'm tired even though you're working 70 80 hours a week and I remember once I in one of the restaurants I yawned and the head chef was like you're tired you're tired do you know how tired I am and I was like oh my god I'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) and you know as much as it was it is funny and a lot of it is you've got to take it as a bit of banter it's all about just the new generation of chefs are having the confidence to go, actually, yeah, I am. I'm being worked too hard. Can we sort something out? And everyone's got to listen. You've got to listen to it. Otherwise, we will have nobody wanting to work in the hospitality industry, which is something we're already seeing. Everyone's like, there's no commie chefs. No one wants to go in at the bottom of the the league, basically. Everyone wants to go in as a chef to party and have more money which is completely fair enough but there's there is a cycle and it is changing and I think the more conversations that are being had the better it's going to be and there's a lot of projects out there now helping with the you know the mental strain and the mental health with of the people who are in the industry and in the kitchen so the more people reach out talk and just have each other's backs a bit more we will get through it and I think it will get better you also spent time working as a chef at, I think, is it J.P. Morgan? Yeah. What, what was that like? That was intense. It was really good fun. It was good because it was Monday to Friday. So I got weekends off and I got evenings off. And that was kind of the whole reason that I went. But it was still fine dining within the bank. So it was for the clients of the bankers. So it was all like, it's quite like scary because, you know, these people have got a lot of money and they could go to like any other restaurant, but they're choosing to stay within the bank. So there's a lot of, you know, you want to make sure this is perfect. And these people were not scared to say if they didn't like something, they wouldn't be like embarrassed to be like, this is not how I like it. So it was really lovely because it was another area of me to of the industry for me to see. So not only did we do the fine dining and the three course meals and all this sort of stuff, we also had to do taster menus. We also did like large banquet meals as well for like hundreds of people. And even because we were on like this one floor and there was all windows when you walked out. It was just really beautiful being in the middle of London and being like, I felt like I was a really posh banker. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't get that mixed up then. Could have said the wrong words. But just being there, it just felt really nice. And they'd come through the kitchen sometimes like they'd show around the kitchen all these these clients and I'd be there like with my hat on looking a bit scraggly like oh yeah you're right like just really like <laughs> like just trying to get the the bechamel sorted for their lunch and I was like, but it was really good it was really good fun tell us about how you became and it's an internet sensation I don't know how else to describe it tell us what <laughs> happened to you over the last two years um I don't even know, actually. I don't think I have a proper answer for this because I still don't <laughs> believe what's happening. I basically lost a job in March because of the pandemic, which is fine. Kind of panicked a bit, like, how am I meant to afford to live in London? What's going on? I was actually looking through my phone the other day, trying to delete things. So I've got so many random videos on there. And I saw all the messages I had. I applied to be a delivery driver for a supermarket this time last year, like, this wasn't happening to me this time last year. This was Mm. all brand new. Uh, So I hadn't got really social media. I had Instagram, few friends on there, nothing major. And I started just cooking at home. Just, I thought, well, you know what? I'm bored. I've got nothing else to do. I can't help anybody necessarily in this situation. But what I can do is make a good tomato sauce. So might as well put it online. And 
TikTok was this, was this new platform and I hadn't really, I didn't really know what it was, but I was anonymous on it and no one knew who I was. And I was like, that's good. Cause I had all my old work friends on Instagram and I was a bit embarrassed. So I was like, you know what? I'll just put it on TikTok. Uh, so I started doing the little videos and it got a bit more traction. It was kind of, you know, the ball's rolling a little bit. And then when we went into lockdown in November, we did another lockdown in November. Uh, one of my videos had got like a million views. It's the first one to get a million views. And I was like, this is incredible. I think I had about 30,000 followers. And I was like, this is too much. I'd already thought I'd peaked. This is everything now. So I was like, you know what? We're going to 25 days of lockdown. I might as well give the people what they want. If they want potatoes, we will give them potatoes. So I did 25 <laughs> days of potatoes and it just went off the charts. I can't, I went... The first week I gained like 100,000 followers, second week I gained like another 100,000 followers and then I did a video, just a compilation video saying come into Potato TikTok, you're all welcome, this is a new little corner of TikTok and I went to bed with 200,000 followers and I woke up with a million and I was like what on, what on earth has actually happened? It's just carried on since then. And I've been very lucky. And even before that happened, I had been approached by Bloomsbury to do this book, which is out next week, this week, at some point, whenever this is out. And it's just continued from there. And I'm just very, very lucky. And I can never, I can never, I'm so grateful. I don't know how to describe how, how it feels, but I never expected this to happen. And um, what do you think makes a good TikTok food video? You've got to get that kind of, they eat with their eyes straight away, obviously, because they're not going to be trying it. So you've got to get that image of this like sexy food straight away. It's got to be like really like, oh yeah, I want to eat that. And then I think for me, I've just always kept it exactly to who I am. I, I mean, I had about four months where I couldn't say ginger or garlic without confusing them over. And I just leave it in at the end. I'm like, well, you know what, that's me. I can't speak properly. Might as well just leave it in there. So just having that kind of like, I don't know, just authentic authenticity about it, I suppose. And also making these dishes that are accessible to everyone and just, you know, make people want to get in the kitchen. And I think because we all had time last year as well, I suppose a lot more people were in the kitchen, had time to cook their own food. So they kind of enjoyed being able to try something different in potato world. And why do you think the potatoes are so popular? Do you think that's what people were craving during lockdown? I think they're just so comforting. They're versatile, they're comforting. Everyone knows what a potato is. They're not scary in any way. They are very cheap as well. So it's, it's people can just get them. You can just get a potato and you know what it is. It's not scary. I've said that already, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and speaking of comfort, what what is ultimate comfort food for you? Is it a particular type of potato or something else? Do you have a sweet tooth? Yeah, I suppose. I, my comfort food's really dirty. I really like like chicken wings and ribs. And that's like my, although my, you know, I was saying about my nan earlier made all these lovely French dishes. I, I'll happily sit and just like demolish a bucket of chicken wings, like in hot sauce and blue cheese sauce. Like I need to have like everything. I just want to be covered and dripping in sauce. And that's my comfort with some... I've got to say, a mashed potato is pure comfort also. Plenty of cream, plenty of butter, and that feels like a big hug in a bowl for me. So tell us about your book. What, what can we expect from, from your debut cookbook? Well, it's really weird. <laughs> it's really weird to hear it. Well, I wanted this to be... I kind of wanted it to reflect what I do on TikTok and what I do on social media. So it's more of like a learning tool, I suppose. Um, mm -hmm. It's not... There's no judgment. It's not like about everything being perfect. It's just, let me show you the food that you probably have 
eaten or, or, or make similar things at home. But let me show you how I do it and how I make it better and you can take something and learn from it. So it's set over 12 chapters which are all based around core recipes. So the core recipes is a bit like a skill or something that you take away from the book. So the first chapter is all about tomato sauce. So you learn how to make this tomato sauce uh, as a core recipe. Then it goes into a staple dish, uh, which is like spaghetti and meatballs, but my way of doing it. Then it goes into a brunch dish. So if you've got a bit of that sauce left over the next morning, here you go, here's what you can do. Also, I love a brunch, I had to have brunch in there. Brunch is my favorite thing. Then it goes into a potato dish, of course. Um, so, I kind of did my take on papatas, oh, patatas bravas, but I called it popatas bravas, so that's why I'm getting nice, myself confused. Nice. And then it goes into a fancy AF dish, uh, which is like chicken parmesan. So a little bit more effort. You might want to do that when you've got friends and family coming over, or you just fancy something a little bit extra. So that structure is set over throughout the book, those whole 12 different chapters, uh, even into desserts as well. And there's potatoes in the desserts, which I'm quite proud about. That's cool. Sounds great. <laughs> that is really cool. Um, and Poppy, what what do you think's next? I mean, do you think just TikTok forever, or do you, would you like to come back and work in a restaurant again? Well, if I'm honest with you, everything's been absolutely mental for the past year and a half. So I don't know. I honestly don't know what's next because every time something happens, I'm like, surely this is it now. This should be it. Like things need to stop because I don't understand how they're happening, and. I don't want to say no to ever going back in a kitchen, but I really do enjoy what I'm doing now and being able to teach people and being able to see what people are creating from like the recipes that I'm giving them. I get really excited about, about it. So it's never say never. I'd love to do a pop-up. I'd love to do something where I can get out and kind of serve my potatoes to people, I suppose. Maybe this is like street foodie or something or taking over someone's restaurant for a couple of days. Uh, would be really good fun because I kind of miss the buzz being in the kitchen but I don't think I would go back full time because I am having really really good fun and you know see how the book goes you never know if if people want more I'll try I could try and write another one maybe hopefully we'll see and tell us finally what would your desert island meal be <gasps> okay that's really hard um oh god um it would be, wow. You know what? It's really sad. It would be French onion soup. That's so nice. Got to start with some French onion soup. It's one of the, I've only been to France a couple of times and the one time I went and I had this French onion soup and it was like I had an epiphany. I don't know what, like it was like it, I had an out of body experience and I need to go back to this one restaurant to try, try and have this French onion soup again. But it was just phenomenal. Um, so I could eat that every single day for the rest of my life. So that that would be it. Just that, that's all I need. You can have more, but if you just want to stick with that. <laughs> so, because then I'd ruin it with like some kind of like tacky American food. Not that American, I love American food, but I think that sounds classy, a good bit of French onion soup and maybe a bottle of wine. I'd be well away. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Poppy, thank you very much for joining Table Talk. And Poppy's new book, Poppy Cooks, The Food You Need, is available now. Thank you for listening. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do subscribe. And if you've really enjoyed it, please do leave us a star rating and review. It really helps us out.